All right, guys, John 14 and 15 is where we're going tonight. If you've got your Bible on you, if you've got an app on your phone, I'd love it if you'd flip there with me. Um, <clears throat> so you guys know those people that give way too many details in stories? Yeah, Tori knows. <laughs> guys, Tori hasn't been to Salt Company in a while, and she is hyped. Like, they're... Like, earlier in the night, I was like, what is all of this noise that I'm hearing? It's like, oh, it's Tori. Tori's here. I'm pumped you're here too, Tori. Okay, so Tori knows what I'm talking about. I don't know if any of the rest of you do, but, like, grandpas are notorious for this. Okay, you know what I mean? Like, they start a story, like, back in 1979, or was it 1978? Yeah, Bert, or was it Tom? You know what I'm talking about? Like, just too many details, all right? And so you get in the middle of that story, and it's just confusing because you don't know what's relevant to what. You don't know what's going on. Okay, John is not that guy, all right? So the book of John is about the most important person to ever live, and he's been flying through this thing. So John has flown through three years of Jesus' ministry over a couple chapters, but then we've gotten to this new section where he's going to zoom all the way in. And for the entire like second half of the book, he's going to talk about a few hours of Jesus' life. And that's actually intentional. He's trying to tell us something that we got to pay attention to. He's saying, look, all of the other stuff was important, yeah, but I was just hitting the highlights, and now I'm zooming in and I'm giving you the details. Because this is what the whole thing has been building for. So we've gotten to the point in the story of the life of Jesus where he's a few hours away from the cross. And he's essentially giving his disciples like his last words, right? Like if somebody's on their deathbed and they're saying something to you, you listen up, right? Like that's significant. That's what we have going on here with Jesus. It's his dying words to his best friends. And we get a little window into that, which is amazing. So that's what we got going on in John 14 and 15. So let me start in John 14. I'm just going to start with that very first section. He says this, um, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Okay, so he just told us his goal and what he's about to tell his disciples. Right, so this is his goal. His goal is to comfort them. Right, he just said, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's trying to, to help them not be afraid because there's been a lot of weird stuff going down. Right, like Judas just left to betray Jesus. Jesus just told Peter that he was about to betray him too. He's talking about his own death. Like stuff's been getting weird and the disciples are freaked out about it. And so Jesus is like, hey, I want to I comfort you. I want to give you something that's going to help you to not be sad as you walk through this with me. But here's the thing that's weird about this is the stuff that he gives to the disciples and he says, hey, this will be really comforting, is actually the very stuff that probably ticks us off the most. That's like really confusing and really hard for us. Okay, let me give you an example. Verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I'm not going to unpack that whole thing because if you were here at the beginning of the semester, we did a whole series on it. But Jesus says, I am the, the one way. Right? I am the exclusive way to have relationship with God. Like you can't have him unless you have me. And so any other idea, any other concept, any other religion, like, it's got to come through Jesus, which is really hard for us culturally, right? Like, if that's, if that's hard for you and you're hearing that and you're not sure about that, like, that's true for a lot of us. That's true for me because we don't like exclusivity. 
Like anytime somebody makes an exclusive claim, it feels like somebody's going to get left out of that and we don't like it. Or here's another example, something that's supposed to be comforting that doesn't feel like it. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Okay, maybe that sounds normal to you if you've been around this thing for a while, but this is essentially what he's saying. In other words, I have absolute authority that literally anything I tell you, this is Jesus, not me, okay, Jesus, anything I tell you, you should obey. Okay, that word obey, does that just give you like, you just feel like the warm fuzzies, you're just super comfortable right now? No, like that's not a very fun concept. Okay, so why does Jesus say that he's going to comfort us and then give us stuff that seems like really, really hard to understand and actually does the opposite of what he said he was going to do? All right, so that's what I want to try and kind of figure out with you tonight. Okay, now I'm going to do something. I'm going to make you think. You're like, dude, I've got tests. Like, it's Thanksgiving. Like, just deal with it. You're fine. It's important, all right? You're fine. But I want to, I want to make you think about our culture. And I've got, like, graphs and stuff. Not graphs, but, like, little charts. Like, this is weird for me. But I've been thinking about this, and I think it's important, all right? And so I just want you to, like, lean in, bear with me on this. And here's the deal. If some of this, like, rubs you the wrong way, if you don't like that, I want you to know, like, it's cool that you're here right? Like, you don't have to agree with everything that I say. Like, I'd love to process that with you. Like, I'm pumped that you're here, but just, would you just, like, hear me out? All right, like, just process this with me. Okay, so why does some of this stuff that Jesus says not sit well with us? Well, all of us are products of our culture, and the way that our culture thinks about morality, we're all products of that. In our culture, the way that you can define it is it's called secularism, Okay, so even if you disagree in theory with the concept of secularism, you think like a secularist. Like, like you can't help it. Like, junior hires, they smell. Like, right? Like, they can't help it. There's just BO going on. I'm sorry if that's offensive to you, but it's not, because everybody loves to make fun of junior hires. We all got through that stage. Everything's fine. Now we can laugh at it, right? So junior hires smell. They don't know that they smell, because it's around them all the time. Right, but you walk in, you smell it, okay? The secularism on you smells. Like, it's, it's all over you, and you don't, you don't even know it. You think like it. It's, you're influenced by it. And, and so the heart of secularism is a critique of authority. The heart of secularism is a critique of authority. So this is what life used to be based on. It's what I'll call traditionalism. All right, so let me give you, like, a, a little graph thing. Okay. Here's my graph there. Are you guys impressed? Don't answer that if you're not. Okay. But, okay, traditionalism. So this is, this is the way that people used to function, is when you would ask them, hey, what's your authority? Where do you look for meaning in life? What tells you how you should live? There's these institutions, these structures, these authorities that people look to, right? So if, if you have a, a question about science, you, you would go to a scientist. If you have a question about philosophy, you would go to a philosopher. And if you had a question about morality, you would go to one of these institutions. You would go to the church. You would go to your, to your family, right? You would go to one of these institutions that would tell you how to live. But here's the deal. Our culture rightly realized that in that there's abuse of power. And, and hear me say that, rightly realized, like, power should not be abused. That is true. But you guys know what I'm talking about. You've seen churches that have done this to you. Some of you have had that experience with churches where you feel like they've abused their power. 
Or you've seen that with, with government dictators and stuff like that. And so they saw this abuse of power and they, and they started saying, you know what, we got to challenge this authority instead of blindly accepting it. Right, so, so in schools now, instead of telling people what to think, they just say, hey, like you just think for yourself and whatever conclusion you come to, like that's your truth. That's your beneficial conclusion. And now, now don't get me wrong, there's good in that. Okay, like we should challenge evil authorities. We should challenge systematic injustice. We should challenge racism. We should challenge gender inequality. We should challenge dictatorships that, that abuse the people underneath them. We should challenge that evil authority. That's true, but here's the problem. Culturally, we've not just thrown out evil authority. We've thrown out all authority. All right, so hear me on this. I know I'm like kind of going into a rabbit hole here, but I think this is so important. We've thrown out all of the authority in, in anything that makes a claim on your life on what you should do, on how you should live, on, how, on what you should believe, you intuitively, without even thinking about it, you're going to push against it. You're not going to like that authority in your life because it's everything that you've been around has said, push against authority. Another way you could talk about that is hyper, it's hyper-individualism. Okay, so that's secularism. So let me throw that up. So this is what we did is we, we flipped it, right? Instead of looking to those other things as the authority, this is what we, we did. We said, the individual is the authority. You are the authority over your own life. And so this is what you now can do, is you can look at stuff like church or government, family, whatever, but you can look at stuff that Jesus says, and you can say, you know what, does that align with what I think is good and true about the world? Then I'm going to believe it. But if it doesn't align with what I think is good and true about the world, then I'm not. Right? Do, you, do, you, do you see what I'm saying here? Like you've set yourself up as the authority and then you pick and choose what you believe based on what makes you feel good. And here's why. Because when you emphasize hyper-individualism, then freedom for you is just getting to do whatever you want. Right? Like that's your definition of freedom is if you can just live however you want, and anyone or anything who tells you any differently is wrong. But here's what I want you to know. That interestingly enough, the very thing that you call freedom is the same thing that Jesus calls slavery. This, is, this was Jesus' message, that if, if you just chase whatever you want and live however you want, that that's going to feel nice in the moment, but actually your soul has been deformed. It's been corrupted by sin in your life. Same thing for me. It's not unique to you. It's all of us. We've been corrupted, and when we just do whatever we want, we actually find out that we become addicts to that thing. Like we get this little fix, this little high for a minute, and then we've got to keep going back over and over and over again, and it never can satisfy your soul. And if you pay attention, if you're honest with yourself, you'll find that what you thought would set you free didn't. That you chasing whatever you wanted in life was bankrupt and that it actually hasn't made you happy. That it's empty. That you're empty. Here's why. Because you're not as good at being God of your own life as you think you are. I'm not as good at it as I tend to think that I am. God's actually better at being God than you are, turns out. 
And this has been not just our culture, but it's been our sin struggle from the beginning. Right, so the story of Adam and Eve and like human beings falling. Look, Eve wasn't just eating an apple. What was she doing? What was Adam doing alongside of her? They were saying, I'm going to reject the authority above me. God, I don't want you to be God. I want to be God. God had come to them and said, hey, I've got a great way for you to live. I know the best thing for you. I'm your creator. I want what's good for you. And this is what they said to that is, actually, I think I know better. I think I know how to live, and so I don't want to live the way that you told me to live. I'm going to live my own way. And that's been in the heart of us as human beings ever since, and it it gets kind of fleshed out in our culture. But here's what's actually true. So so last one, if you're sick of the graphs. Uh, Here's what's reality. Here's what's true. Is that Jesus is actually the authority over the universe and over your life, whether or not you recognize that. That he's the authority and that he gets to speak into all of these institutions and specifically he gets to speak into you. He gets to speak into your life. So, so Jesus shows up and he says, hey, I'm the only way to have relationship with God and I know that you want to have a bunch of other ways and you think that that would be nice and that that would be better, but I'm telling you, I made this place and I know what's best and I want you to trust me on this one. And he shows up and he says, hey, I know you want to live a certain way, but I've got a better life for you if you would just trust me. If you would just believe that I actually know what I'm talking about, I've got a good life for you if you would just hear me out on this. If you will just obey me, I can set you free. So this, this is what I'm getting at. This is why I went there. I think the best summary of both John 14 and John 15 is Jesus saying, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You'll put yourself under my authority, which makes us cringe, right? Like, I'm, if, I'm with you in that. Like, I don't I don't really want to talk about that here. Like, I might have some, like, conversations after this with people that aren't super happy with me. Like, I don't love that. I just think it's true. I just see it, and I don't like it personally. Like, I I push against God's authority all the time because I think I know better, but I'm trying to teach myself what it looks like to live under his authority. Okay, so when I was trying to think about this, I, uh, yeah, I I was thinking about what's coming up in my life. So I got, a, I got a photo for you of my wife. Look at that. She's so pregnant. I love it. She's like, she's just so cute. Look at that baby bump. 38 weeks. Okay, so this is about to happen to my life. Guys, pregnancy is nuts. Like there is, there is a human child inside of her. Like, and you're like, Jordan, that's what pregnancy is. Yeah, but like, have you thought about that? Like there... Like, there are two brains in her body. Like, you know? Like, I, and, and like, that belly, like, it's, it's hard. It's not soft. When you poke it, it doesn't, it doesn't give way. When you poke it, he punches back. Like, he's like, I'm like, I'm just having poke. It, like, it's crazy. I don't, I don't understand this whole thing. I don't know what's coming. Uh, we took a, a labor class recently. Which, yeah, I'm not going to, like, go there, all right? Like, I, I will try and practice self-control. 
But here, I had, I had no idea. Like, labor is a war zone. Like, yeah, okay, I gotta stop, right? Yeah, just wait. Um, but here's the, I am just like, I know nothing about what's about to happen, right? And I'm like, I'm freaked out by the unknown of this thing, and I, I like, I don't know what it's like, gonna be like to parent this kid. His name's Graham, by the way. Um, oh, gosh. That was like, I want him to be like a macho man, and then, yeah. And, okay, so, so I have like no idea what's coming with, with pregnancy, with parenting, but there's one thing that I know for sure. And it's hard. Like, it bums me out. Here's what I know for sure, is that Graham will come out of the womb not trusting me. That that, that little dude, like, I'm going to take him to get his, his shots, like his immuniz- immunizations. Oh, that was rough. That was rough. So, somebody help me out. Say it. Immunizations. Ooh. I'll try later. All right, let's bring it back in. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to take him to get his shots, and he's going to cry, and he's going to freak out, right? Like, he's going to do everything that he can to try and get away from that because he's not going to know that I'm trying to do what's best for him, right? And then he's, he's going to grow up. He's going to get a little bit older, and nobody's going to have to teach him how to not do what I say, right? He's just not going to do it. And then he's going to become a junior higher and a high schooler, and he's going to think I'm an idiot, right? Which is, I mean, maybe fair, but the whole shots thing, like, yeah, I get it. Um, but it will be natural for him to push against my authority. And here's what's such a bummer about that is I know what's best for him. I'm not going to be a perfect parent or any of that stuff, but I do actually know what's good for him. And with everything that I am, I want that kid to have joy, Like, I want him to have a great life. And every time I'm telling him to do something, it's because I want him to have a great life. And this is what I know, is that he won't believe me. He won't be able to figure that out. He won't trust me. He's going to trust himself more than he trusts me. Guys, that's what we're like. We're we're like little kids. And I don't, I don't say that to insult your intelligence, okay? But just like in comparison to God, there's a huge gap there. And, and your intuition will be to trust yourself over him. And God's going to tell you something to do with your life. He's going to tell you how to live. And it's because he wants what's good for you. He wants your joy. He's got a plan for your life. And he wants you to live in it. And your instinct every time is to kick back on that. And to not believe him. You're not going to trust him when he tells you that. You're going to think that you know better when you don't. And you could have access to joy if you would just hear him out. If you would just listen. Who's calling the shots in your life? Like what are the doubts that aren't really doubts? They're just you not really wanting to listen to what God has to say. Like, what's the sin struggle in your life that's not really a struggle, it's just you wanting to sin? Like, it's okay to be broken, it's okay to be in process, but what's the stuff where you just don't really care, and you're just going to live however you want? Okay, so let me go back to this whole comfort thing, right? Because that doesn't sound super comforting. So I want to come back to that. 
Okay, the reason why authority doesn't seem comforting to you, I think largely is because you've seen authority abused. So some of you have come from just like messed up backgrounds. And you've got parents that use their authority to hold it against you, to prop themselves up, and they manipulated you in the process. Or maybe it's been friends or a boyfriend, a girlfriend, whatever, but you've seen this. Or maybe you've just seen this displayed in like leadership and in government. You've seen authority abuse because that's what human beings do. They take their authority and they use it to prop themselves up and to push you down. But I want you to see how Jesus uses his authority. John 14, verse 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. Okay, now if you're paying attention, you're like, wait, what did that have to do with anything? Right, like how is that comforting? Okay, let me show you. He says, rise, let's go from here. Okay, where are they going? You guys remember where they are? They're in this upper room. They just shared their last meal on earth that they're going to have together. And Jesus stands up after that meal and he says, hey, let's go. Where are they going? Well, they're going to walk down the steps from that upper room, potentially directly past the house where one of Jesus' best friends is selling him out for money. They're going to walk past that house instead of Jesus going in and confronting him on it and stopping it. He's just going to keep walking. Then they're going to walk through the city gate. And then they're going to take a little bit of a hike out into the wilderness until they get into a garden. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's the place where Jesus will pray before he dies. Now, Jesus knew that Judas would be able to find him there, but he stays. Jesus has dodged the authorities that are trying to kill him over and over and over again. So this time, why does he stay? Because when he said, rise, let's get up and go, he said, let's go to the cross. I'm going to walk there. I'm going to go there intentionally. He had all the authority to stop it from happening in a moment. He could have snapped his fingers and everything would have been changed. He could have stopped it from happening to him. Like, like if you knew you were about to die and you had the authority to stop it, wouldn't you stop it? But Jesus doesn't. Why? Because he chooses to use his pain for your good. Because he will sacrifice what's good for him so that you can experience what's good in life. Jesus used his authority not to crush you, but to save you. And listen, hear me on this. Like any person, any person willing to do that can be trusted as an authority in your life. Like here's what this means. Like anything that Jesus tells you to do, Anything, even when it seems hard or when you don't understand or when you're confused or when you're frustrated, it is always, always, always for your good and for your joy. He always wants what's good for you and he'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. Flipping over real quick to John 15, 11. He says this, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants to give you joy, but it only comes through living a life under authority. But that's something that we gotta learn how to do, right? That doesn't happen naturally for us, and so we've gotta figure it out. So how do we work on that? How do we work on living under the authority of Jesus so that we can have joy in him? Well, that's what John 15 is all about. 
It's how to actually live the way that Jesus designed you to live. All right, so let me read a little section, John 15, 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear fruit, more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so in there, there's things that you need to do in order to follow Jesus, to put yourself under his authority so that you can have joy. But there's also things in there that he's going to do for you. Okay, so, so I want to think about the process of how God actually changes you, how he actually helps you live a new life. And it's a cooperation between him and you. He's the one that drives it, but you participate in that. Okay, so, so think of a sailboat. This has been one of the most helpful analogies that I, I heard from somebody else a while ago. It's simple, but it's been really helpful for me. Think of a sailboat. What do you need for a sailboat to move? You need two things, essentially. You need wind and you need a sail, right? Now, what's actually moving the boat? The wind. The sail's just catching the wind, but the wind is the thing that's moving the boat, but you have to have the sail in order for the wind to move the boat. Okay, the Holy Spirit is the wind. God is is the person who changes you, who can transform you, and it's just your job to put up the sail. It's just your job to sort of be with him, to kind of get in the way of the Holy Spirit as he starts to change your life. That's what it looks like to change. And the language he uses there kind of plays this out, all right? So so what do you do in this process of following Jesus? You abide. That's the command that he gave you is abide in me. And then what he does, what Jesus does is he prunes you and he gives you the Holy Spirit, the helper. Okay, so first off, what you do. You abide. Okay, so abide is a really hard word to describe. Like, and I, don't, I just don't really know how, uh, which is tough when you're giving a sermon on it. But, but I think like that's why Jesus actually gave an illustration in the text itself to explain what abiding means. So I'm just going to like stick with that. Seems like a decent idea. Okay, so this is his illustration of what abiding means. He's like, hey, life with me, it's like a vine with some branches, And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And in order to grow, in order to have life, you've got to stay connected with me. And then God's the gardener. He can come along and he can kind of tend to the vine. He can can prune it to to kill off kind of dead things in you so that, that new things can come to life. But here's all that the branch has to do in order to grow. Just stay connected to the vine. Stay close to the vine. So in other words, the the Christian life, it's hard, but it's actually pretty simple. You just remain connected to Christ in every situation of your life. The Christian life is learning how Jesus is a part of literally everything that you do. That you can't isolate him into certain parts of your life, but your whole life is sort of defined by him and done in partnership with him. But here's what you have to realize in order to figure that out is that you can't do it on your own. You can't change you. You trying to change you is like a dead branch laying on the ground 
going, grow. I don't know why it's yelling like that. Branches don't talk. I don't know what they sound like. But like, is that going to work? No, because they're not connected to the source of life. A dead branch can't grow on its own, but that is a lot of your strategy in Christianity is you're not connected to the vine. You're not spending time with Jesus. You're not depending on him. You're depending on yourself. You're kind of doing your own thing and you're hoping that you will grow. In other words, growth isn't mechanical, it's organic. So, excuse me, so mechanical growth is you get a blueprint, right? If somebody gives you a plan, a blueprint, you can just go and do it. You just, you're building a brick building, you just add some more bricks, And that's how you think about the Christian life. But I'm saying it's organic. You can't produce it. You just got to plant a seed and then wait until it becomes an oak tree. That's what it looks like to abide. All right, so just real quick, like what that looks like a little bit in my life or what I'm trying to make it look like. So one thing from the text is prayer. So in John 15, 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So abide through prayer. It's just that you're consistently asking him to help, and then he does. He hears you. So last week we did uh, interviews for people that are are wanting to go overseas this summer. And they're sweet. They're like some of the best conversations that we have all year. But they're, they're important, right? It's like I've got 45 minutes with someone. Some of you went through this, right? I've got 45 minutes with someone to try and figure out, like, not only how to encourage you in your walk with Jesus, but, like, if going overseas is the best route for you or if it'll be harmful. And that's hard. So I, I'm like pumped for those, but I actually get like a little nervous about them because I, I, I want to do like the best that I can to help you guys, right? And so there's a day that I wake up for the interviews. I hit the alarm like eight times. You guys, I know you've never done that, but it's something that I struggle with. I hit it like eight times, and so now I'm running late. I was going to get up. I was going to prep. I was going to like read through the apps and pray and stuff like that, be super holy, but I slept. And, and so then I was like frantic and I ran out of the house and I'm, and I'm going to Kaufman and I'm just like, man, this sucks. Like, I'm not ready for these interviews. Like, I, I feel like frazzled. I feel disconnected from God. And so, but I realized it in the moment. I just said, you know what, Jesus, like, this isn't about me. This isn't about how prepared I am. Like, would you just help me? And then I'm, I'm in conversations with people and I'm, I'm not sure what to say or I'm not sure how to be helpful. And so I'm just trying to pray like, Holy Spirit, like help me pay attention. Help me to listen. Help me to be able to say something that's helpful for them because I got nothing without you, right? Or there's other times when I don't do that and I just sort of ignore that prompting and then I just say what I want to say and then like I said something I shouldn't have and like that was a bummer, right? It's, it's just that process of trying to walk through the day with Jesus, Another little practical thing for you, like maybe rest sometime. I know, foreign concept, like sleep, like normal hours of the day. And, and just shut your mind off for a minute. You guys are, you're like freaking out, you're going crazy. You can't abide when you're running at that pace. Just slow down. You're like, I've got all this stuff, I've got to test, I've got to do this. You're not that big of a deal. You're just not that important. Like, I'm glad you're here, I love you, but you're not that important. None of us are. Like the world is not going to stop if you stop. So just chill out, take a nap, and think about Jesus. And honestly, it'll be amazing. Like, I think it'll change your life. Just take some time. All right. That's some ways to kind of put up the sail, right? The Holy Spirit's the wind. He's the one that's got to change you. But that's some of the ways to sort of get in the way of what the Spirit is doing. But go ahead and let's talk about the Spirit directly. He's the one that changes us. Let's talk about him. So flip back to John 14, 6 through 20. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Okay, did you, did you catch that last sentence? Like, that was weird. Let me read it again. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. I think Jesus just said that you, like, participate in the Trinity. Now, I'm a little nervous about this, because that sounds like heresy, that sounds like something weird. I'm just looking at it in the text. Like, this is what Jesus is saying. is like, if you know me, you know God. Like, we're one in the same. I'm not going to get in the Trinity here. Where I, I, yeah, that's not going to go well. But, but they're one in the same person. They're in each other, and they support each other, and they point to each other. And then Jesus says, hey, you know what? Actually, you're in that now, too, if you trust me. I want to bring you into that community. Like, like if God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are like sitting around a boardroom table, which don't take that the wrong way because, again, they're the same person. That's, that's not real. It's an, it's an example, okay? But if they're sitting around a table, you're chilling there. And, and they're like talking about the kingdom of God and how it's going to happen on earth. And they turn to you and they're like, what do you think? And you're like, what? Me? Yeah. Like what it means to know God is to get wrapped up in the community that he has within himself. Okay, did you guys growing up in school, did you have tag? Like not the game tag, like the elitist club tag? This is what it stood for. Maybe you didn't have this. It stood for talented and gifted. They called it that. Like how did they get away with that? Like can you imagine if I did that at Salt Company? You guys are walking through the door. It's like, yeah, you guys are in the talented and gifted section over here. Ah, you didn't make the cut. That happened to me in school. I didn't make the cut. And I really wanted to be talented and gifted. And so I, they, they all met in this little side room. And they had, and in the door it had one of those school windows. You know what I'm talking about? Like the really small windows because they don't want you to look out of it. But like, anyway, so I would go up to like the wall and like, oh, there's like something on the wall. And I kind of like peek in. Like I wanted to be in there so bad. Like have you ever seen Heavyweights? I think I've mentioned this before, but that movie means a lot. So if you need to watch Heavyweights. Okay, so there's a scene in Heavyweights. It's about, um, it, they call it a fat camp. It's about a fat camp, okay? And there's this scene where they sort of take over the camp and, and they're like shoving whole Hershey's bars in their mouth and they're like spraying whipped cream on themselves in slow motion. Like I think that's what was going on in the talented and gifted room. Like that's, I wanted to be in there, and I couldn't be. I was on the outside looking in. And here's the deal. I, like, all they were doing in there was more school, and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> but I wanted to be in there so bad. Why? Because all of us desperately want to be on the inside. We don't want to be on the outside looking in. We want to be a part of what's going on. God has brought you in. You were on the outside, you couldn't come in, and this is what Jesus does by his Holy Spirit, is he invites you into himself so that you can experience his community, that you never again have to be on the outside looking in, and guess what, that changes you. When you hang out with him, when you're around him, he, he changes the way that you live. <clears throat> and then verse 17, 
You know him, that's the spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, so Jesus, talking about the spirit, just gave us a hint on what the spirit is like with the pronoun that he used. Jesus said, you know him. Okay, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some like abstract force that we want to come and do like fun tricks for us. He's a person, and here's his title. He's the helper, which means the God of the universe lives inside of you and is committed to helping you follow Jesus so that you can have a life of joy in him. All right, so let's kind of zoom out to close this. If you're willing to come under Jesus' authority and abide, he will prune you, he'll help you, he'll change you, and he'll give you his spirit. And you will have everything you need to live a life of joy. So the Christian life is actually pretty simple. It's hard, but it's simple. Get to know God through the Spirit and you'll change. Your life will be different. So let me add, like, end this a little bit different way. Instead of talking about abiding, let's just do it. And so I want to give you just a minute to like process and reflect um, and here's what I want you to think about is just where are you trying to be the authority in your life? Where are you kind of challenging Jesus' authority in your life? And then I just want you to talk to Jesus. And yeah, Ben, you guys can come up and stuff. I want you to talk to Jesus and just ask him to help you abide. Ask him to help you like be with him in every facet of your life. And just like get a little bit of time with him right now. Abide right now. All right, go ahead.